Hello, this is Deo Muano. I am excited for my podcast today. It's actually a podcast from a presentation that I recently did on forgiveness. Welcome to Persevere to Excel podcast. This is Deo Muano. I am excited that you join in and I hope you're doing awesome. And for this podcast, it's a little bit of an insight bringing you into my world as a presenter, trainer, speaker. In this recent presentation I did for a workforce diversity, equity, and inclusion training conference that was happening. And I was really excited when I got this outreach and they said, hey, we looked at your website and we want you to give a presentation on forgiveness. And I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. So here it is. I hope you enjoy how I had this huge breakthrough Um, in my life uh, when it comes to forgiveness. And then I'll give you guys a little bit of tools around that. I know this is a workforce uh, uh, training slash presentation slash conference. So I'm going to try to bring it back to that context. But in order for that to actually be a thing, it's forgiveness, being able to forgive it's a personal choice, right? It's a personal thing that you have to do as an individual. So a lot of my focus in my presentation is going to have this introspective thing. It's going to force you to kind of reflect internally and um, figure out what does it actually look looks like for you to actually forgive, but then also to think about it within the context of your your space, right? As, as an organization that you work with, you work for, what does it look like to create a space where um, being able to forgive and move forward is a norm, right? And, and, and the thing about it is it's, it's something that um, we all have our own perspective and point of views, what that looks like. So I'm hoping in this journey with you guys today that um, we're able to unpack it a little bit more. All right, multiple screens here. Let's go with the next slide. Uh, so my name is Deo Muano. I, I like to start all my presentation with a little picture of my children and I. So that's me. That was actually um, a year ago in April. We found a little parking lot at a middle school. Obviously, you know that you know the schools were closed and shut down. So we found a little parking lot in the middle school where nobody, nobody else was there. So I took my kids there to do a little some outside activity. So I'm a father. Of three kids. My oldest is eight. I have a six-year-old and then almost a five-year-old. She is the boss lady. Um, I live in Manchester, New Hampshire. I've been living in Manchester for the last 20 years. Um, I left Manchester for a little bit of time when I went to college. It was just New England College at NEC. That's where I went to school. Uh, But New Hampshire and Manchester has been my home for the last 21 years. So I run a consultant firm uh, called Dale Mono Consultancy. And we have three focus. We focus on workforce success education success, and then community. All of my work, even though there's three different buckets, the, what grounds my work is relationship building. I believe that when you create a space where people get to know each other, that's where the solution lives and lies. So a lot of my work, I focus on um, really trying to figure out what that intersection looks like. And prior to COVID, a lot of my work was in person where I meet with people, schools, businesses, nonprofit. And uh, we meet in person, right? And we engage and we try to, um, you know, try to find that share common ground. But within the last year, it looks like this. I, I average uh, about probably 10 to 15 Zoom calls, Zoom presentation on a weekly basis. I've gotten used to it. Um, and I'm super, super grateful that the fact that I still am able to continue to do this work uh, virtually. And then those are just some of the partners that I've worked with here locally, but also all over the country. One of the things that's unique 
about my work, I really, really strongly believe that in order to, to find, you know, solutions that are going to be obtainable and sustainable, you have to be able to bring the different folks together, right? The different folks that contributes to the particular thing or issues together in order to then help co-design a solution that's going to help move them forward. So a lot of my work is really about helping organizations figure out what that looks like. Um, sometimes it's external partners or external communities of where the organization businesses operate. And sometimes it's internal. Some, sometimes organizations that I work with are super diverse in, term, in terms of race, ethnicity, um, sexual orientation, gender, uh, political ideology, religion, and you're trying to bring them together in order to figure out what is the solution that works for that particular culture. So for me, my secret sauce is actually bringing people together and then creating a space where they can unpack. And then through the unpacking, you can find solutions. So my presentation today, uh, the title, it really is The Power of Forgiveness, but the main focus is really forgive, heal, and reconcile. Reconcile. So what, what, is, what does that look like in order to actually do that? So everything that I do, there's this two, there's a framework behind every single thing that I do. And that framework is the being and the doing. So some of you guys, if you ever heard me present before, you hear this a lot. The being is our mindset, perspectives, point of view. And the being is what's happening internally. So we all have a being. The doing is what we do externally. And the doing is usually where those who are outside can measure the impact, right? So if, if, you, if what is living within you, if you don't act upon it, then no one is ever going to be able to receive it on the external side. The being is our internal, who we are, our mindset, perspective, point of views, but they are both very, very important. And sometimes the driver to a positive change might happen through the doing, depending on where you are within your being already. And sometimes the driver for a positive impact actually starts at the being level first. So that's why it's important to be able to create that space where you can have that introspective. So a lot of my examples today might focus on the individual, but please feel free to think about it within an ecosystem of where you work and operate out of because your organization is also a being. There's so many different moving parts. There's different organisms that put that makes what your organization is, right? So and then part of your organization, there's also a being. There's, mind, there's mindset, perspectives, and point of views of your organization. And then your organization also have a doing, what you guys do externally, what you guys do in terms of the product and services that you offer. So in this context of my presentation, it's okay to think about it from you personally as, an, as a human being, but also to think about it within an entity that you work for or you represent or a nonprofit that you're part of. So when we think about the being, the only way that you can make a positive impact or make an impact is by bringing your positive intention to life in order to have an impact, right? So we all have certain intentions that live within us. Some of, the, some of those intentions are positive. Some of those intentions are negative. But I'm going to focus on the positive one real quick. 
most of the time we allow those positive intentions to kind of be who we are when we think of ourselves. But we don't really create the space to say, how are those positive intentions actually coming to life? And most of the time, it's those who are external are the ones are able to see if we're actually doing it or not, right? Think of the last time that you fought with someone when it came to cleaning the dishes, right? Maybe your significant other said, hey, I thought you said you're going to clean the dishes. And you said, oh, I'm so sorry. My intention was, right? It doesn't really matter what your intention was because you didn't act upon it. So therefore, your action did not reflect your intention. And our being is the nature or essence of of a person. Your being shapes who you are. So your mindset, your point of view, how you see the world, all of that comes from your being. And there's been other different things that have influenced what makes you as a person, your family dynamic, how you were raised, the community that you were raised in, certain stuff that you read, the media, movies, all those different things, religion, all these different things shapes who you are as part of your being. So I wanted to, to stay here for a second and, and really talk about this whole concept of the power of forgiveness. Me personally, I, I probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for forgiveness. Like I told you guys earlier, I was, I'm going to give you some context, some of my personal stories and, and, and some, general, some kind of a general concept around forgiveness. So what is forgiveness, right? And why does it matter? Forgiveness is about goodness, about extending mercy to those who have harmed us, even if they don't deserve it. It is not about finding excuses for the offending a person's behavior. So it's not about offending a person's behavior or pretending it didn't happen. Nor is it their really quick formula you can follow. There's really not a quick formula that you can follow when it comes to forgiveness. But forgiveness is a process with many steps that often proceeds in a non-linear fashion. So meaning it's personal, right? There's, there's, there's no like a, a off the shelf that you can take and be like, boom, boom, boom. If I do this, oh yeah, great, boom. Now, I'm, now I know what to do to forgive. But there are certain elements that allows us to reflect on who we are. So if we're going back to that being in order to figure out what does it actually looks like. But it's also really important to look at what are, what are the things that actually impact us the most that we're less likely to forgive upon? Because we all have our own sensitivity, right? We all have our triggers, different things that we, that we hold on to or different things that might offend us or different things. But then there's also certain pains that impact us substantially that prevents us from actually forgiving. So, so, we, so the culture and the setting that we're in nowadays, people tend to kind of pick sides. It's a lot easier to say, I'm this way, I'm that way, I'm this way. So for those who want to find common grounds that can help us move, to, move forward as as a community, as a society, as an organization, then there's certain elements of forgiving that has to apply and happen in order to bring us together so we can move forward. But a lot of times when we think about forgiveness, 
Sometimes there's this sense of weakness. We feel like we're weak when we forgive. We feel like we're letting our, our guards down. We've been hurt so much or so bad around a certain thing where you're like, I don't know. I don't want to forgive. But it's been shown that when you forgive, it decreases depression, anxiety, unhealthy anger, and symptoms of PTSD. When I tell you my personal story, you're actually going to hear how PTSD actually impacted me so much. But when we don't just forgive ourselves, forgiveness can lead to a psychological healing. And its essence, it's not something about you or done for you. It's something you extend towards another person because you recognize over time that that is the best response to the situation. And one of the things that I always say is when you're forgiving someone else or you're forgiving an experience or you're forgiving a situation, it's not the situation that gets the, the, you know, the breakthrough, the healing or the individual, right? It's you personally. You're on the receptive end and it benefits you, right? So all of you guys are like, oh man, this is, this is a workforce training about diversity, equity, inclusion. And this is getting deep. We're talking about forgiveness. This is like, sounds more like a mental health. Well, every aspect of your life is mental health, right? Your, your, your mind and brain and your soul is part of who you are as a human and how you show up in different settings that you're in. You can't separate it. It's it's holistic of who you are. And for me personally, I believe that in order for us to move forward, it's really important to look at what power do we have? What agency? I talk about agency a lot. We all have our own inner power. We all have our own power within the setting in which we're in and where we operate and how we go about. And part of that power is also being able to utilize the ability to forgive. So I hope that we've, we've kind of level set. There's a good level set here, right, of where I'm going, of where I'm coming from in, in relation to this, this presentation around the power of forgiveness. So I'm going to take some time and tell you a little bit of my story, who I am and how I ended up here and how being able to forgive literally changed my trajectory, so the picture that you're seeing, that, that is a handsome Dale. You know, I like that outfit. If you wear that, if you end up buying an outfit like that and you wear it, please tag me on Instagram, Dale Moano. You know, you got to give me credit for where you got your outfit from. Uh, that's actually in the Congo. I was born and raised in the Democratic Republic of Congo, heart of Africa. Some of you guys know my story already. So as I'm telling my story, you're like, oh, I already know Dale's story. But I want to give you guys a little bit of context here. Grew up in a middle-class family in the Congo. My father is in the far right. My mother is in the middle. And then in that picture, my brother Vinny and I. And then on the left side, that's me. Yes, this picture is in Africa, guys. This is Congo. You know, you see that. You see those two different color grass, right? Like, that's, this is not like some naked boys running on top of elephant. This is where, where, where I grew up. This, this was my home, okay? And my father was a really hard worker, and up to the age of six and seven years old, I never really experienced any hardship in terms of 
war or civil unrest. I never really experienced that. My father spent his whole entire life uh, as, a, as a military person working for the Congolese government. And when in, in mid-1990s, there was a huge civil war that broke out in the Congo. And in result of that civil war, the, the president who ruled for over 32 years was ousted. And then a new president arrived. And when that new president arrived, my mother told my father, said, hey, um, you know, nothing happened to you during this transition. I think it's time for us to pack up and leave. And then I'm looking at the comments. Hopefully you guys can hear me and I'm good coming through your screen. And my father said, listen, I'm devoted to the Congolese people. There's nothing that I need to do. We're going to stay here. The new government wants to rebuild. That This is my calling. My mother's like, please, can we just get out? Can we just get out? This is not a good situation here. So after that transition happened, Congo is a really big country. It's the size of Western Europe. And after that transition happened, um, it was a rebel group that came in and they took over. So usually when uh, you have a dictatorship president, in order for that president to be ousted, there has to be a big war that happens. And then eventually you go to us. People are taking over different. The rebel groups will take different regions. And then when they get to um, where the headquarter is, once they take over, then they become the president. Right. They become the new leader. So that's what happened. So all of a sudden, when the new rebels came to the capital where I lived. They didn't fight. Nobody fought against those rebels. They just allowed them to walk in. So I didn't, I didn't experience war like other folks that lived in the outside of um, the outskirts of different towns and city in the Congo with that experience. People went out in the street to welcome those individuals. So I didn't experience war. But what I then experienced was just chaos. When the new government arrived, those rebels gave the native people the power to essentially rule for themselves. So if you had a neighbor that worked for the ex-government official and you didn't like them, you will tell them, hey, that person was corrupt. And then what the new government would do, they would literally give you like the, the power to do whatever you needed to in order to make just. And that became the environment that I lived. I remember one time I was walking down the street with my mom and there was a lot of noises happening in this main boulevard. And when we got closer to the boulevard, it was a little too late. It was about 20 to 30 people lined up on the street with tires over their body and petroleum being pulled on, poured on them and they were being burnt alive. That became the reality of my life. You constantly hear gunshots. It sounded like the 4th of July. And mind you, it wasn't a war. It was just people were just empowered to, to make vengeance. So the new government arrived and, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to figure out what's going to happen. And people, you know, if you... you, you, you you know, you didn't, you didn't get the right stuff with the old government and boom, you, you get to do your thing. So that became my reality. All of a sudden, I went from a peaceful life to this chaotic life. And my mother's kept telling my father, my mother's saying, we got to leave this country. My father's like, nope, I'm dedicated to this country. Make a long story short, my father started to work for the new government. He was deployed in the outskirts of Congo where another war broke out. And he didn't know that all of this was a plan by the new government to work with ex-government officials. And any time they were scared, they, would, they ended up executing them. So in 1997, my father got assassinated 
by the new government and everything my family had was taken away. Our house, our bank accounts, everything. And my father's side of family gave my mother an ultimatum. They said, hey, Bernadette, you're young. You know, you got four children. Um, please give us the children and go restart your life. For some of you guys, you know, that's a pretty, that, that is a pretty good offering, right? Like, you're, you, my mother was really young. So she was 24, 23 years old when my father was assassinated. So that was a pretty good offer. My father's side of family said, hey, we're scared that something's going to happen to you guys too. Something's going to happen with us. So just give us the children and then go restart your life. My mother said, no, I'm going to keep my children with us, with me. And my father's side of family was like, we're sorry, but we have to wash our hands. Meaning, good luck. Our friends, our own family, they deserted us. And I'm not smiling because I think it's funny. I'm smiling because that's just how I express myself. But Everything I knew up to that point changed. I saw, I saw my mom go from taking care of people, taking care of us, to working in a, a, in a small little market selling like, like waffles, little waffles that she made just to try to provide for us. We live in the little shack. You see, you see, you see it in that picture, right? You see that you, you see like the the yard and how it looked like, and you know we had a really nice house prior to, but we went from that to nothing. We lived in a little shack with tin roof, and when the rain would fall, the rain would fall on us. But I never saw my mom give up hope, and courage. Right? Like yesterday we celebrated Women, Women's Day, International Women's Day. I never saw her give up her give 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 up her hope. She started writing letters to different government officials. My family, make a long story short, were able to make it out of the Congo and we moved to a refugee camp. We moved to a refugee camp in Western Europe and that was an answer to a prayer. It was like, oh my gosh, like we don't have to worry about our life being taken out. But at that refugee camp, you didn't know if you're going to resettle or not, right? Like you... All we knew is we just we, we we were still alive, so that was good enough for us. We're still alive, yay, awesome. We ended up spending two years in this refugee camp, and then we resettled to the coldest place on earth, Manchester, New Hampshire, in February of 2000. It was incredible. Within a three-year time frame, my father gets assassinated. We lose everything. We don't know if we're going to be alive or not. And then we find ourselves in the coldest place on earth, Manchester, New Hampshire. No friends, no family, no money, except the hope for a better life. And then different people came alongside my family. Some of these pictures that you're seeing, this is literally like, you know, a couple of months after we arrived. Different, different people came alongside my family. And it started to, we started to believe that this, this, we can actually... You know, we, can, we're, we had a second chance of life to restart our life. We can actually, you know, move forward. And then something happened. So this photo that you're seeing here, uh, I was uh, sixth grade on the right side. That's me. And just look, look, at my, look at my facial expression real quick in this photo. And tell me what, you, what, what, what do you see? as you're looking at this photo, right? So I just told you this crazy story, right? Lived in a middle-class family, never had a problem. Everything was good. 
Huge civil war breaks out. New government arrives. My father starts working for the new government. My mother's telling my father, hey, we got to get out of here. And my, my father is too stubborn. He ends up getting assassinated. Everything we had was taken away. Even my father's own side of family washed their hands on us. Everybody that we took care of, everybody was scared to come alongside us because they're afraid if something happened to us, it was going to happen to them too. We found ourselves at a refugee camp, which was uh, a miracle. And then we go, from, we go from a refugee camp to the richest country on earth. So I've been, I've been in the States in this picture for about two and a half years. Why is my face like that? What, what are you seeing? What are you seeing in my face? And for some of us, there's certain stuff that's happened that we've had to encounter or that's happened to us that, that it creates this sometimes. Anger, bitterness, frustration. And you know what happens when we get, to, we get on this state? Our walls goes up. And when those walls goes up, we're trying to protect something, whatever it is that we're trying to protect. Sometimes we're, just, we're still dealing with the uncomfortableness of what has just happened. And for some of you guys, this might be some of the, the state of mind that you've been within the last couple of months, right? The election happened. We've been quarantined. Some of you guys lost your job. Your family members lost their jobs, right? You get on this point. You get on this point here. And you have your own rationality of how you justify what's going on within that. And for me, I was a 12-year-old boy. who witnessed and gone through some crazy stuff. You know, I told you a little story of like walking down a boulevard with 20 people with tires over their body being burnt alive, right? 24-7, it sounded like 4th of July, but people were getting shot at and dying. And then seeing your mother completely not having anything at all, being on 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 the bottom completely. So what started happening to me during this phase was anger, bitterness. And that anger and bitterness started to eat me up from the inside. And guess what it created? It created PTSD for me. I would walk down, when I would walk to school and I would hear sound and it made me feel like I was in the Congo and I was being attacked. So I became paranoid. My mother found someone else here in America that she's trying to have a relationship with. I wasn't really too crazy about the guy. I looked at where we were and that anger started to eat me up. But mind you, when I went through all that craziness, four years prior, I didn't feel any of this stuff because I was in survival mode. I was trying to survive. But now I am out of that situation in the richest country on earth. Don't have to worry about my life being taken away. And now those feelings and emotions are starting to eat me up from the inside. 
I thought about committing suicide. I thought about ending my life multiple times. Why? Because of the anger and bitterness in my heart. But I was not aware of what was actually causing me to feel the way that I was feeling. Luckily, I had a little community around me. I went to a small little school. Uh, I ended up transferring from the public school that I was going to to St. Joseph School. I had a little community there. And then the church that I went to, I had a little community at my church as well. Uh, my youth group at the time, I would call her all the time. Hey, this is how I feel. I don't know what's going on. And she was just there for me. She was just there consistently. But I couldn't move away from the feelings that I had in my heart. So let me, let me tell you what happened. So I had a breakthrough. And that breakthrough needed to happen. If that breakthrough did not happen... I would not be here today. So this is my own personal story. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you, you know, this is the pathway that you have to take in order to, to have a breakthrough when it comes to forgiveness. But I will, I'm going to break down what the different moving parts that actually happened throughout that breakthrough that allow me to actually go on the opposite side, right? At the time, for me, it was my faith, my belief is what really kind of drove me in there, right? So this is not like, I'm not trying to preach with you guys. I'm not trying to preach to you guys. It's just my own personal experience of what I went through. So I joined this organization where I would travel to inner city America to do dances and performing arts. Let me see if I have any pictures here to show you guys what the, what the organization looked like. So you get a little bit of context as I'm, as I'm telling this story. Ah, okay, so this is, this is a much later on, right? So much, much later on in my life, I, I was involved with this program. But earlier, I was a lot younger. I was in this program where you travel inner city America, Chicago, SI, Philly, all over um, Massachusetts, all over uh, New York City. And during this time, telling my story almost became very therapeutic to me. I, I, the organization that I was involved with was a predominantly white organization. So most of the time, I was the only black person going to this very diverse community. So a lot of times, people would look at me and be like, who is this, <laughs> who is this black guy with all these white dudes? What is he, he going to say to us? Like, he doesn't understand what's happening in our community. And then I'll get on the mic and tell my story of overcoming the atrocity that I witnessed in the Congo and after my father's assassination and moving to America. And I would have people in those community come up to me and say, thank you so much for telling your story. That was so encouraging for me to hear, but more importantly, for my kids to hear as well. Because we, we thought that we're going through the hardest time, the hardest situation. To hear your story, it brought hope and courage. So, so being involved with that organization and doing, telling my story and seeing how it impacted other people's lives positively, it started to give me it started to give me a sense of purpose, and it started to ground me. So one time, during this, a trip like this, in 2003, there was a speaker that was talking about forgiveness, and I was like, ah, come on. And, and when the speaker was talking about forgiveness, I was like, I'm good. I didn't even like consider. Mind you, during that time, I'm dealing with, this is this day, oh. This is, this is... This day, oh, 
that day or right there during that time. But for some reason, when the speaker was talking about forgiveness, I was completely disattached with this whole notion of forgiveness. Like, who do I need to forgive? I'm good. And then I had this conviction in my heart. And then that conviction started to surface the pain and the anger that I was carrying as a 13-year-old boy. And for the first time, I realized where that pain and anger actually came from. I had a lot of bitterness and anger towards my father's side of family who washed their hands on us when we needed them the most and gave my mother the most ridiculous ultimatum. I had a lot of anger and bitterness towards the people that assassinated my father. I had a lot of anger and bitterness towards the experiences that I witnessed as a young boy. So I started to realize at that moment, holy crap, I've been carrying this weight for so long. And this is what's causing where I am right now. And it happened over time. Once I started to realize what the causation of those negative feelings that I had towards myself, where it, where it came from. Now it, it was surfaced, right? Now it's not hidden anymore, right? So for some of you guys, there's certain anger and bitterness that you have. Like it's infused in who you are as a, as a human, like it, be, it becomes part of your character. And unfortunately, sometimes it manifests within your behavior. And sometimes there's triggers. There, there might be somebody that looks like someone that did that. Or like like you, you act a certain way towards certain things because of those anger that's been infused and it's become part of you. And I realized if I needed, to, if I was going to move forward, I had to forgive And, and the side of me was like, heck no. That feeling and that emotion of that nastiness that I was feeling within me, it kind of felt good. Not kind of. It felt good to a certain extent. But it was destroying me. So once I started to actualize what those things were and I started to reflect on it, I kept going back and forth. Hey, you, you need to forgive this. You need to let go. You got to move forward, Dale. You're not in harm's way anyway, in, anymore, man. It went through weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I got to a point where I was, um, I was doing a trip in Chicago. And I, 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 I was confronted. I was confronted by where I was at the moment. The relationship within my mom and everything else that was happening, I was like, all right, like I'm, I'm, I'm about to explode. And I made the decision to forgive. And it was, it was, it was a physical act, it was a spiritual act, it was, it was all of that combined together. But what happened after was a transformation of who I was as a person, as a human. I felt like I was carrying this burden. I was carrying this burden for so long. And I finally got to 
let go. It, it literally transformed my brain and my, it literally transformed me. Because I realized that I needed that forgiveness for myself. I didn't need that forgiveness for anyone else. I needed to do that for myself. And at that moment, I, the anger, the bitterness, like the craziness that I had, it just, it just, it started this like restorative process. It, re- it started to restore who I was and my eyesight and how I saw the world around me and how things impacted me and what, what, what I was driven by. And I remember I called my mom and I said, mom, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me in the way that I've been behaving and acting. And she, and she, and she was, and she started to like kind of chuckle in the, in the back end. And she wasn't chuckling because she was like laughing at me. She was chuckling because she was happy to know that I was able to, to, to make this big step. And she knew that it was going to change my trajectory because I, I saw her do it. You know, a couple of years after moving to the States, my, my father's side of family got our number somehow and they started calling my house and they, they would talk to my mom. And I was like, why are you talking to them? Like, what's going on? Right. So I saw I saw that manifest through her. So for me to call in and be like, hey, mom, like, I just want to let you know that I'm sorry for the way that I've been behaving. But I also want to let you know that I made I made this big step where I decided to forgive my father, our father, my father's side of family. I decided to forgive all this craziness that I've been that I was dealing with. So I want to give you guys this, this six key elements here for you to take with you, and then I'll stop, and then we'll move forward to um, a, little, a little discussion here. So when we talk about, like, we talk about restorative justice, we talk about reconciliation, we talk about finding a common ground, we talk about healing, right? Those have been, like, the, the key words in our, in our society lately, right? But in order for those things to actually happen, like, we, we have, there's, there's certain elements of things that we have ownership in that process, so it's not just on others, right? It's not just on, oh, that person hurt my feelings, so that person needs to um, change their mindset and get to a point where they come to me and ask for forgiveness or whatever it is, right? But a lot of times we don't really reflect, like, what does it mean for us? If, we're talking, if we say healing, restorative, you know, inclusivity, you know, like if we talk about this all belonging, coming together, you know, minimizing some of our preferences in order to create space and room for others, right? Like, all of that stuff, it doesn't happen within an artificial vacuum. Like, it actually takes a lot of action. So, so here's my quick tips here, right? The first thing is about knowing what forgiveness is and why does it matter. Why does it matter to you, okay? Not, be, not in the construct of like, oh, in this society, like, what, what, no, know what forgiveness is and why does it matter to you, right? So there's some, some a little introspective here. This is where you can take a little notes. The second one is, how do you become forgivingly fit? So you got to become forgivingly fit. So for me, was that I needed to recognize and acknowledge and take ownership of what, what was actually happening that was impacting me, Right? Because if I wasn't able to do that, then I can't even, I don't even know what to forgive. 
The third one, the second one is, actually the third one is address your inner pain. And I, and I told you my story. I was, <laughs> I was in a bad spot. I was, that inner pain was eating me out. It was eating me from the inside out. So what's, what's the inner pain that you feel, right? You got to be able to address it. How do you address it? You, you call it out. Oh, this is what's actually happening. Oh, that is what's happening. You call it out. Because what happens is when we suppress it, we're never going to confront it if we suppress it. Fourth one, develop a forgiving mind through empathy. Oh, that's the hard one. So how do you, how do, you do that, right? I think the best exercise is, is identifying where do you have empathy for yourself? And how does it manifest? That's the starting point. Because a lot of us, we don't really even know what does it mean for us to be empathetic, right? So first, you got to be able to develop it. You got to be able to identify it through yourself first. Because if you can identify how empathetic you are to yourself, then there's, there's a great opportunity to look at how can you be empathetic to others. Or the second one is identifying how are you empathetic to those who are closer to you, right? So for some of you guys, you might have grandchildren, you might have kids of your own, like all of that, like you might be very empathetic towards those that you've put your walls down and they're in your own inner circle, right? So being able to, being able to identify that because that's, the, that's where you're going to find how you can develop a forgiving mind through empathy because the action and the behavior of empathy, how it showcases through you is where the opportunity lies of how it can showcase through others. The fifth one is you got to find meaning in your suffering. Oh, here we go. Here we go. How do you find meaning in your suffering, right? I, I was, when I was dealing with the, the anger and the bitterness, I wasn't living in the suffering in terms of the catastrophic events that was happening in my life. That happened prior, where for some of us, we might be living in that like right now. It might be happening, in, you know, presently. So you got to find meaning, right? And, and, and I can't give you like, like examples in order to say this is what it is for you. But I, for me personally, I always started with the fact that I'm still alive, that I'm breathing, right? That's the starting point. It's like, I'm still alive. And then I start looking at other stuff. Right. I have a roof over my head. I have drinking water. Right. I love I have electricity. Right. Like so you start like really I have people that, act, that actually care about me and they love me. Right. So you got to look at meaning in your suffering because there's other elements of your life that are actually positive. You got to just put a little perspective in order to acknowledge what it is. And then the sixth one is when forgiveness is hard, call upon other strengths. You, got, you might have some people in your circle, people that you trust, people that, people that are close to you. Call upon their strength to come alongside you. For me, it was, it was my youth group leader. It was the organization that I was involved with, some of their leaders. I remember times I'll call them up. I'm just crying. Like, oh, I don't know. I just feel this way. I don't know why I feel this way. And it was just, they were able to hear me out. I, I, I was calling them multiple times. So I don't want to minimize that by that example I just gave. Like, like literally, like, and that's something that we also need to acknowledge sometimes that our reaching, right? We're really bad at reaching out sometimes. And I hope you got some people that are close to you that you, you feel comfortable reaching out. 
Seventh, the seventh one is, seventh one is forgive yourself. You got to forgive yourself. Because for some of us, it's really hard to forgive others where we don't even know what it looks like to actually forgive ourselves. And for me, I needed to forgive myself in, in terms of, you know, the, the, the misfortunate of what happened to me. Some of the stuff that I saw and some of the stuff I heard, like, I couldn't really pinpoint that on someone else. So it came back to me. It was that, that anger and bitterness, some of them were, were, were reflecting back to, my, to myself. I needed to forgive myself because I, to a certain extent, like, I, I had no ownership to what, what occurred. But where for some of us, sometimes, we, you know, we make bad decisions. We, you know, we, we're, we're in the driver's seat with certain of, some of our actions and our behaviors. So you got to be able to create that space to identify, acknowledge, confront, and then take action, right? So you got, you got to be able to forgive yourself. And then the eighth one is develop a forgiving heart. And that forgiving heart is customized to who you are. Not some artificial thing that, you know, some bloggers wrote or somebody wrote on the book and it's exciting, right? That, that might be a driver to getting to that forgiveness, but you got to develop a forgiving heart for yourself. You got to identify what are the moving parts that you need to put in place that reflects who you are in order to create that model that's customized to you. So when there's times where you've identified, hey, you know, I've crossed the line here or this or this. Hey, I need to I need to show grace. I need to be I need to be empathetic. Then you can activate it based on who you are. And then the other piece is like, really, you got to be able to you got to have a conversation, right? You got to you got to verbalize that. I told you earlier, positive intention only lives within you until you act upon it. That's when that's when you can see it. So the being translating into the doing. Got to be able to develop a forgiving heart. And it's a process. It's never, you're never going to master it 100%. It's what you put in place in order to engage within that. And sometimes it changes. But as long as it's in the forefront of who you are and what you want to be and how you want to go about. I know I just gave you guys so much. I just went back to back. Boom, 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 boom. But so let me, let, me, let, me, let me conclude here and then I'll, I'll leave for some questions. So I ended up graduating from middle school. Uh, that, that, that following summer was after that huge breakthrough that I had in terms of my, my forgiveness process. Uh, went to uh, high school, ended up transferring to a small little Christian school. I graduated from that school. Went to college, graduated from college with my undergrad. And I graduated from, with my master the following year. That's my wife on the left side, my mother in the middle, my two, my two close friends on the right side. So your being is, is everything. The communities that I've, I've, I've gone to use my story and told my story in communities all over the country, all over at different, at different, different places, inner city, different organizations, nonprofit schools, businesses. And part of it, to me, it's really about that human connection, right? That human, the human touch point. And that's something that we lose sometimes within our society. We move so fast that we forget about slowing down the process in order to have those connections. 